And open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 33, Isaiah 33, 22. We'll get back to Revelation next week. In fact, Lord willing, we will finish Revelation next Sunday and then move into a series on the church during July and August. But this morning, one verse for our text, Isaiah 33, 22, and this is the word of God. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that we have your word this morning, that it is certain, that it's true, and that it stands forever. So, Father, as we consider you this morning as king, Father, as we consider you as judge and as lawgiver, and Father, as we consider you as Savior, Lord, give us good understanding of what that means for our lives, how you want us to live here and now in this nation, in this century, we would pray. Uh, So help us now, we ask, by your Spirit, to understand in Jesus' name, amen. As God's people living in the United States, there is much to concern us today. And I had my examples all lined up, but I thought they might depress you too much. Uh, so instead, I'm going to just let the Bible make some comments uh, about our nation. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. David in Psalm 52.8, You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. Psalm 12, 8. David again. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. And finally, Paul in Romans 1, 28. Claim to be wise, they became fools. Exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Resuming mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. The shining city upon a hill that John Winthrop envisioned, like the gold in Jerusalem, in the words of the prophet Jeremiah, has become dim. So how do we respond to a culture that seems so intent on a death spiral of rebellion against God and His glory? How do we live in the United States of America in the 21st century? Um, as we can observe what's happened today, I want us to once again look at just what the United States was founded to be. Now, now, what are we as a nation? David Brewer was born to missionary parents in Izmir, Turkey, uh, and nominated to the Supreme Court uh, December the 4th, 1889 by President Benjamin Harrison, confirmed 14 days later. <laughs> can you imagine that? Um, and, and he raised the issue, why do people speak of our nation as a Christian nation. And he said this, After all, we don't have a Christianity as an established state religion. People are not in any manner compelled to support it. In fact, the Constitution provides uh, specifically uh, that Congress shall make no law respecting an established religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. <clears throat> Neither is it Christian in the sense that all its citizens are either in fact or named Christians. On the contrary, All religions have free scope within our borders. 
A lot of people profess other religions, and many reject all. And this has always been the case. Nor is a Christian in the sense that a profession of Christianity is a condition of holding office or engaging in public service. In fact, for some, it is seen as a detriment. Yet, consider the following quotes. Now, I'm going to read the quote, and you, you get in your mind who you think said it, okay? All right, and I hope you haven't cheated by looking at the answers already. All right, um, who said, The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. It was John Adams in a letter to Thomas Jefferson, who said, America was born a Christian nation, America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. That was President Woodrow Wilson, who said American life is built and can alone survive upon the fundamental philosophy announced by the Savior 19 centuries ago. The centuries gives you at least a clue to narrow it down. Uh, that, was, that was President Herbert Hoover, who said rather bluntly, this is a Christian nation. Harry Truman, who said, I believe the entire Bill of Rights came into being because of the knowledge of our forefathers had of the Bible and their belief in it, freedom of belief, of expression, of assembly, of petition, the dignity of the individual, the sanctity of the home, equal justice under law, and the reservation of powers to the people. I like to believe we're living today in the spirit of the Christian religion, also like to believe that as long as we do so, no great harm can come to our country. That was Chief Justice Earl Warren. There was a time in our history that Christian worship services were actually held each Sunday at the, at the U.S. Capitol building uh, in Washington. And one man went walking to attend the service and told a friend why he did it. He said, no nation's ever existed or been governed without religion, nor can be. The Christian religion is the best religion that's been given to man, and I, as chief magistrate of this nation, am bound to give it the sanction of my example. I'd be surprised if that was Thomas Jefferson. So why did all these men talk like this? So what's the connection between Christianity and our nation? It's obvious it's, it's close enough to so our nation's history. We have been called a Christian nation. And Justice Brewer's answer to the question he raised is why people refer to as a Christian nation was this. Of all the nations in the world, America is most justly called a Christian nation because Christianity has so largely shaped and molded it. Uh, so understanding the connection between our, our nation and Christianity, uh, it's a critical issue for us who are believers in Jesus. So we should know how we should live when our, our nation, in our nation, how we should view our nation, uh, and, uh, and live in it as those who are citizens of both the kingdom of God and of this nation. You know, God told the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18, that he is the one who plants nations and uproots them according to his purposes. And in planting this nation in the 18th century, the people God used, unquestionably founded upon Christian principles based on a Judeo-Christian worldview, common law, and ethics that were drawn from the Bible. And our text today is actually one of the, the verses, uh, key verses that guided them. So what did they learn from this verse for how we live as the people of God? How do we apply it to how we live today? Let's go to the text and see. 
First, just note the prevailing 18th century worldview was a biblical view, and that was critical in our nation's formation. Again, our text, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Uh, That verse serves as the foundation for a worldview that believes in a sovereign creator God and in the rule of law. Uh, Some of the founding fathers were Christians, uh, like John Adams. Some were not, like Thomas Jefferson. Um, But this was the prevailing world and life view that shaped all their thinking, Christian or not. Isaiah 33.22 lies at the heart of any discussion of how they viewed the world and in turn how they then constituted our nation. Uh, Isaiah begins by saying the Lord's our judge. Friends, ultimately all human beings must answer to a holy God for how they live uh, their lives. God holds us accountable. Two things to say. One is we're obviously surrounded by people who deny they're accountable to God. In fact, they refuse to be accountable to anybody but themselves. Second, uh, what about all the injustice in the world around us? How many times do we say that's not fair? The right is from our perspective, there's much of life that's not fair. Was it fair that we were born in this nation and others are born in in Iran uh, or North Korea or Yemen? But with God as a judge, we know there will be ultimate justice because God is fair. And as we've seen in Revelation, uh, no human being will escape his judgment. The Lord is our judge. And our founding fathers grasp this. They believe God to be a just judge. And a just judge is always interested in justice. So they had a profound commitment to justice. An expectation that people uh, should act justly in accordance with the words of the prophet Micah. To act justly, love mercy, and will come be with their God. And we see this again in the Declaration of Independence. We all of these truths be self-evident. That all men were created equal. That they're endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, we need to pause and make an observation. By the way, it was made by the people in Philadelphia during those days the, when what we call now the Declaration of Independence was being debated. Um, here, we are, here were men talking about liberty, talking about freedom, talking about justice for all people. But the irony is not lost on them even then in what they write because slavery was a reality. And it was an issue in 1775 and 1776 as they met together. To John Adams and others, slavery was abhorrent. They wanted to do away with it. Sadly, tragically, some others viewed slavery as an economic necessity and way of life. And they were either blinded by their sin or simply defiant. The result was in order to forge a nation from 13 colonies, the issue of slavery was set aside. For shame, it took then 100 years uh, and a civil war to settle the issue and eliminate slavery 150 years ago. Our task today remains a commitment to justice for all people with a common resolve to act justly towards all. And that's why the verse 22 also declares the Lord is our lawgiver. Um, if, um, uh, if you're going to play any kind of a game, 
You've got to have rules to play by, whether it's Monopoly or baseball. Um, You've got to agree on rules. In the same way, there are rules for life. As the creator and sovereign ruler, God gave the laws in his Old Testament for Israel. They revealed his heart and his mind, and he knew what was best for his people. He gave the law for God how to love him with our heart and soul and minds and strength and other people as we love ourselves. The psalmist said that he will run in the path of God's commands, for he has set my heart free. God's law guides us, sets us free for how to live. As we apply it, we'll see that it, if we do what the Word says, it protects our liberty, our freedoms, and our responsibilities. The purpose of the law is also to restrain evil, to protect the poor and the alien from the rich and the powerful. Much of what we call our common law that guides us every day comes to us from the Bible, from the laws given for Israel. When God said, do not steal, he established property rights of ownership. He prohibited the powerful from stealing from the weak. The law against adultery was to protect the family and particularly to protect women. The law against coveting uh, helped keep the rich and powerful from exploiting the poor and so on. Uh, President James Madison appointed Joseph Story to the Supreme Court. He was the founder of Harvard Law School. He served on the court for 34 years. Here's what he said. Christianity is a part of the common law. There's never been a period in which the common law did not recognize Christianity as lying at its foundations. I believe Christianity is necessary to the support of civil society. And so God holds us accountable for living by the laws that he gave us for our benefit by properly ordering ordering our society. Therefore, Isaiah also declares God, the Lord, is king. As our king, God rules over us and protects us. When worldly rulers disappoint us, and ultimately they all will, whether the name is Biden or Trump or uh, McCarthy or, or Schumer, uh, because like us, they are sinful, fallible people. Uh, and so we take comfort in knowing two things. One, God, is, God has placed in authority over us for his purposes. And second, ultimately, it's the Lord who's our king. He's the one that rules over everything. In the minds of our, most of our founding fathers, this ind- included an accountability uh, to our creator, an acknowledgement that he's active and involved in human affairs for our ultimate good. And so it was reflecting on God as judge, lawgiver, and king, uh, guided how they would structure the government. There would be three branches of government reflecting the three roles God plays. Now here's the thing, God is the, the perfect uh, God, so he's a perfect judge, He's a perfect lawgiver, and he's a perfect king. But what about giving people those powers? Well, not so fast, all right? Uh, John Adams argued for the separation of powers because of the human bent towards sin. Adams wrote this, Ambition is one of the more ungovernable passions of the human heart. 
The love of power is insatiable and uncontrollable. There is danger from all men. The only maxim of a free government ought to be trust no man living with power to endanger the public liberty. By the way, his influence, he was influenced greatly there by his wife, Abigail, who just before he said that wrote this, I'm more and more convinced that man is a dangerous creature and that power, whether vested in many or in few, is ever grasping. So Adams envisioned a government with a division of power where there was a judge, the judicial branch, the lawgiver, the legislative branch, the king, the executive branch. And even with that, he envisioned a, a division of power between the, uh, a large representative body, more directly and accountable to the people, like the House of Representatives, and a smaller body that was meant to be more deliberative and reflective and not so rash, which became the Senate. And that the two together would work to bring about laws that were wise. He was borrowing from the 17th century philosopher James Harrington, suggested that an idea of a true republic was an empire of laws and not men. Again, why was Adams concerned about the concentration of power? Why the divisions? Because he believed that the grip of sin on the human heart was a strong one. Our economic system of capitalism has worked, yet it's not worked at times. Capitalism, more than any other economic system, acknowledges that the basic freedom human beings have, it encourages creativity, it rewards hard work for people who are made in the image of God to be workers. Sometimes though sin distorts capitalism, greed slips in the door. Instead of seeking the common good, some seek to maximize every dollar for themselves. Selfishness over there's a lack of kindness in how people are treated, especially employees. When our economy rests on greed, selfishness, and a basic lack of kindness, people often get hurt. That's why the final statement of this verse is so critical and is so necessary. It is God who will save us. It is to God's glory that he saves a wretch like me. We cannot perfectly with humans replicate in our culture God as judge and lawgiver and king because fallible human beings will never get it right. And so we need a Savior. And God intervenes in time and space, history, and the person of Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins through his death on the cross. To all those disappointed by government, we need to remind them that the government's not here to save us. All right? Indeed, human government, or how well intended, can never save us. There's only one that saves, and that's Jesus. And that's the message we must proclaim, so that to God be all the glory. So what about us? Don't forget too excited, this is a long, so what about us, okay? I'm not getting out early just because I got here early. All right? Um, first, we need to really think about and understand our dual citizenship. You know, we're citizens of the kingdom of God and of the United States of America. Now, most of you all know that my heritage is from Croatia, um, and uh, they've got a shrinking population, so they, they offer dual citizenship to anybody who can show they were from Croatian background. Um, and that's intriguing, but I've never pursued it because our government warns us that while it's legal, uh, we might get caught up in conflicting laws and taxes and, and that sort of thing, so that one's loyalties one's obligations, and one's checkbook are confused. 
Now that can happen to us as Christians as well. We can at times confuse the kingdom of God with our nation. And we need to remember our priority is, first of all, the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean we cannot be patriotic. We cannot be passionate in our concerns about our nation. We, we need to be. In fact, John Adams, as a devout Christian, suggested that the passion of the Declaration of Independence should always be remembered, always be celebrated. He wrote to, to, to Abigail, his wife, I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other end from this time forward forevermore. So, worship and celebrate. But you don't have to set off those fireworks on Saturday night when I'm trying to sleep, okay? Just as a caution, all right? Uh, some people are getting really excited, getting started early. All right. And as Christians, we, we do have a strong love for our country. Uh, many of you or your loved ones uh, have risked your lives for our nation, and to you and them, we, 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 uh, we are grateful. I think 79 years ago today, my then 18-year-old dad was fighting for our freedom in France, somewhere between his landing point in Normandy three weeks before and Paris, uh, where he would help liberate on August 25th. Our role as Christians is to be salt and light in this world, in whatever nation God places us. For us here in the United States, we're truly blessed to have a nation where we still have the freedom of religion. It's not just worship and assembly. We'll be those who help preserve us a nation by living holy lives, grace-fueled lives of love guided by the Word of God. We said a few weeks ago that holiness is walking with Jesus and a lifestyle of love guided by His Word, powered by His Spirit. Because that's what he sets us apart, makes us holy for. That's what makes us salt. That's what makes us light. As light, we proclaim the hope of the gospel, that it's God who will save us. Over the last half century, uh, some women Christians have mistakenly thought that the political process could be used to change our countrymen's hearts. Uh, won't work. We make our impact not by trying to control the political process, but rather by sharing the hope of eternity that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us with lost and dying people. That's not to say that Christians should not be involved in politics. We should be. It's not to say Christians should not run for public office. Uh, we need Christians to serve as elected officials. It is to say that the political process will not bring about the kingdom of God. No government action or laws will make this a Christian nation. The kingdom of God advances not when people vote, but rather each time a heart is changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh that loves God. And then increasing numbers of Christians live lives that reflect Christ's love. It's obvious that God has really used this nation for the advance of the gospel globally since 1776. 
the rich resources of people and money that God's blessed us with have been used to advance that gospel around the world. We have missionaries from our own CNPC family here in Germany, Bulgaria, Kenya, East Africa, and Thailand. Olivia Cunningham's in Japan this summer. The team's on the way to Bulgaria later this month. We help support other missionaries around the world, not to advance American ideals, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to grasp that God placed this nation here not for our glory, but for His glory. So John Adams saw all this as a real opportunity. He wrote this, It's been the will of heaven that we should be thrown into existence at a period when the greatest philosophers and lawgivers of antiquity would have wished to live. A period when a coincidence of circumstances without example has afforded to 13 colonies at once an opportunity of beginning to govern anew from the foundation and building as they choose. How few of the human race have ever had an opportunity of choosing a system of government for themselves and their children? Have you ever had anything more of a choice in government than in climate? The freedom and liberty drawn from God's word, which our founding fathers put into the Declaration of Independence, and our Constitution still affords us that opportunity. So the heart of the matter is our obligation, comes out of Micah 6.8, to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Our greatest impact will come as we pursue justice and practice mercy. That is, as we really love people and we walk with God, then people are drawn to Him. Then we're then to share the reason for the hope that lies within us, that Jesus has saved us from our sins through His death on the cross, in our place, giving to all who believe in Him eternal life. We're also to pray for our nation. We seek to be a blessing as we live in our nation. It's the clear instruction of God to the Jewish exiles in Babylon, Jeremiah 29, New Living Translation. Uh, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. In other words, embrace living in the place where God places us. That's why we are singing three prayers this morning. The Bible commands us to pray, especially pray for our leaders who face such difficult challenges. This verse gives us an outline. Pray for our legislators to pass wise laws. Pray for our president to be wise in how he leads. Pray for wisdom for the courts, how to administer justice. And as we pray for our nation and the church, we're to pray for revival, a stirring of God's people so that we live like Christ and that will draw many people into the kingdom. That should be a daily prayer for all of us. As Christians, praying for God to bless America is a privilege. It's a God-given obligation, Jeremiah says. But keep in mind our goal is not just to be a blessed people, but we're to be a blessed people who will then be a blessing to the world. Thomas Jefferson said, God who gave us life gave us liberty. I might add that God's placed us to live our lives out here in the 21st century of the United States. He's blessed us with tremendous liberty to live lives that share openly the good news of Jesus, that it's God who saves.
not the government. We can tell the world that God is the true king. He's the true judge. He's the true lawgiver. And that we need to be obsessed with his glory. So when God's so work in each of us, that in turn we might be used to reach others with the gospel. So once again, a president could say what Harry Truman said. This is a Christian nation. Not because we're a theocracy, not at all. But because our lives reflect Jesus. May we avail ourselves of the opportunity placed before us as children of the true king. Let's pray. Father, you've called us to be salt and light. Salt in a decaying world, light in a dark world. Father, you've called us to to pray for those in authority over us. To seek the well-being of the place in which we live. Father, acknowledge it is God who saves. And that everyone needs a Savior. So, Father, help us to live with that reality. Enable us, by the power of your Spirit, to live holy lives, guided by your Word, living a life of love, so that you might give us opportunity, Father, to share the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. And that one heart at a time, you'll turn hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh who will love you, desire to serve you, desire to share you, with the world. Father, there's anybody here that doesn't yet know the joy of knowing Jesus as Savior? Today, Father, today show them your Son, show them the cross, and draw them to Him, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.